Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so who are we? I've given you a cheat sheet up here. <laughs> According to Peter, who are we? And where are we? We're exiles. We're elect exiles. That's a strange thing to be, you know, an elect exile. They don't seem to go together. But that's exactly what Peter tells us is going on right now. We are elect, and one day, as Luke mentioned, we will receive an inheritance that's been guarded, defended on our behalf, and nothing can get to it. But right now, we might go through some really difficult trials because we are exiles in this world. We are not home yet. Well, Peter wants to lay out here in the first chapter the implications of these two things. We're elect and we're exiles at the same time. And so I want to focus this morning on just a couple of verses. I hope you've been studying 1 Peter this week. Maybe you got a lot of things that you should be up here teaching rather than me. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you through his word this week, and that's our greatest goal. To me, what stuck out, uh, stuck out was verse 13 through 17. Uh, before I read it, I, I need you to tell a story. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? He was the greatest military conqueror in the history of the world. He conquered more territories than anybody in human history. He was a very young man, but he was such a great warrior. His strategies were so complete that they just dominated until he got to the point where he ran out of countries to con conquer. He was all out of them. Well, in one of his final campaigns, he got a report from one of his captains that one of their soldiers uh, ran like a coward from the front lines. And he said, well, you know what to do. Get his courage back up and send him back in there. The captain came back and told Alexander again, yes, he ran again. He's a coward. So Alexander the Great said, you bring him in front of me. And so they brought this man trembling in front of the great conqueror, Alexander. And he said, what is your name? The man mumbled something. He said, I didn't hear you. What is your name? He said his name was Alexander. He said, your name is Alexander? The man said, yes, my name is Alexander. And here was Alexander the Great's response. Either change your behavior or change your name. The choice is yours. That's really what Peter's going to say to us here in the first chapter of 1 Peter. He's going to say, if you are indeed elect exiles, either get your behavior reflecting who you are and where you are or change your name. Stop calling yourself Jesus' disciple. It's a hard thing to do. Listen to how 1 Peter puts it. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. He says this, therefore, now by the way, whenever it says therefore, it means since all the stuff I've just said that you're elect exiles, since it's true, therefore, in light of that, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now listen to verse 17. Initially, this was a shocker for me. When I read it, I was like, what? If you call on him as the father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And I thought, what? So many passages in scripture, God says, fear not. But here he's saying, conduct yourselves with fear while you're in exile. And I thought, I don't know if I understand that. The more I read Peter, the more I began to see. Peter says, there's a couple things we could fear. The first option is fear God's judgment. But you don't have to read 1 Peter very much to know that's Peter's point. No, no, you don't need to fear judgment. You are the elect. No fear of God's judgment. In fact, later on, John the Apostle writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you know Jesus Christ, if you are the elect, you don't need to fear punishment. Perfect love has cast out fear. So he can't be talking about fearing judgment. Because if you know Jesus, you don't have to fear judgment. Jesus has taken the penalty of our sins on himself. All right, well, what about the second thing? Are we supposed to be afraid of this strange world we live in? <laughs> Some people answer the question that way. They suggest that we should be afraid of the world, conduct ourselves with fear while we're living here in exile. Again, I want to suggest to you the Bible says everything it can against this. In fact, take a look, 1 John chapter 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You, you don't need to live in fear of the people of this land you're in exile. You don't need to fear God's judgment. You don't need to fear the people who are around you. Now, here's the crazy thing. Throughout church history, many Christians have opted for number two. They live in fear of the world. They live in little compounds with high walls around them to protect them from the dangers of the world. For many, many years, we had monks, monastic followers of Jesus, who would literally move out into the desert or the mountains or the countryside, and they would build their own community, and they would never go touched the people of this world. They lived in fear. I wish this weren't true. I hope this is not true of us. But oftentimes missionaries are the people most guilty of fearing the world. 
when I first started coming to Haiti in 1987, my Haitian friend from Fond du Blanc, he, he told me, he said, now you can tell where the missionaries live. I said, you can? He said, yes, they have very high walls and barbed wire and glass. They're completely protected. They have security. They have all those things. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm saying that Peter says, do not fear the world. Don't live in fear of outsiders. That's why he has left us here. Think about that for a second. If it would be better for you and I as the elect to go and be with Jesus right now, right? So why has he left us here? To hide? To live trembling in fear of the world? No, greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. God has not left us here to fear his judgment. He has not left us here to fear the outsiders in the exile. In fact, Jesus couldn't have been clear about this. Look what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is a powerful passage. Jesus says, you, me, we, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, let me translate this to you. If you leave the salt in the shaker, it never gets out. It never seasons the meat. In Jesus' day, it was more to preserve the meat. Jesus saying salt left in the salt shaker is worthless. Throw it away. It's worth nothing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are one of these elect exiles, God has left you here to be salt and light in this world. Not to be afraid of this world. Not to hide. Not to avoid them, but to penetrate. That's what salt does. That's what light does. Light penetrates the darkness. And God has left you here for the job of penetrating the darkness for the job of preserving the meat so it doesn't rot too quickly. Those of us who are here as missionaries, are, are we living salty lives? Or are we hiding out in our shakers? Some of you Haitians who become elect exiles, are you going back into the very places you came out of in order to be salt and light? Are you hiding, only knowing other non-Christians? Did you know that the statistics tell us that in the West, people who become Christians, they lose 90% of their relationships with lost people in the first year? 90%. This is the opposite of what Peter's saying. He says, look, while you're in exile, live in fear, not of judgment, not of the people, because Jesus himself was the ultimate example of salt getting out of the shaker, wasn't he? Did Jesus just hang out in synagogues in the temple? <laughs> no. You didn't have to read the Gospels very much to know. Uh, he went there sometimes... It usually didn't go well, and he often got kicked out of synagogues and the temple. So where did he go? 
he hung out with hookers and tax collectors. That's what Jesus did. He ate and drank with people like Mary Magdalene, a known hooker, Matthew, a high-ranking tax officer, Zacchaeus, a shrimpy little businessman who ripped off an awful lot of people, according to his own words, a Samaritan woman at a well who'd had many, many affairs and even many husbands, lepers who Roman law said you couldn't get within seven feet of them, and yet Jesus often penetrated the seven foot like salt and light and touched them, and children. There are many passages where it says Jesus just blessed the children. He hung out with children. <laughs> His disciples would often say, no, no, the master's very busy. Kids, leave him alone. And Jesus would go, well, what are you talking about? This is what the kingdom of God is made of. Don't, don't send away the children. I want to read a quote to you by Becky Pippert. I think one of the best writers on this. Here's what she says. What do you do with a man who's supposed to be the holiest man who's ever lived and yet goes around talking with prostitutes and hugging lepers? What do you do with a man who not only mingles with the most unsavory people, but actually seems to enjoy them? The religious accused him of being a drunkard, a glutton, and having tacky taste in friends. It's a profound irony that the Son of God visited this planet and one of the chief complaints against him was that he was not religious enough. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? In fact, when they would confront Jesus, why, why do you hang out with sinners? Do you know what his answer was? Uh, well, people don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. I'm not going to hang out where there's no sick people. I'm going to go penetrate, be salt and light amongst the sick people. One of my biggest concerns for this church, I had a couple other friends that have pastored in international church settings, and I said, so what's the biggest fear about an international church? He goes, a friend of mine, Steve Hawes, was in the Philippines. He pastored a church in Manila. And he said, well, the biggest fear, you know what it is. I said, I do. He said, yeah. The people decide it's going to be the safe space where they can avoid the world. I'll just hang out with other Christians, talk with other Christians, get to know other Christians. He said, it's really difficult to get them to turn the arrows from this way to out there in the world, to get them out of the salt shaker. He's right. This is my greatest fear for QC, is that we will build a religious fortress rather than a lighthouse. Jesus has left us here for purpose. Worship, folks, I have good news for you. We get to spend all of eternity doing worship. Fellowship, hanging out and loving on each other, I have more good news for you. We get to do that forever. Holiness improved my character. The Bible tells us that when we see Jesus, we will instantaneously become holy. 
So there's only one thing we can't do in eternity. And that is go proclaim the good news of the gospel to lost people. That door is going to close, folks. There's only one reason you're still here, because it would be so much better if you could die today and be with Jesus. So much better. But he has left you here as an exile. Not to suffer, but to penetrate. To be salt and light in a decaying world. Now, here's the problem. This is the problem, by the way, of international church. I'm crippled in this. <laughs> you all know, my Creole is very petit petit. <laughs> it's so little. I can't really be as effective going out and just hanging out with people like Jesus did. Now, I, I still got to figure out how to do that. But do you know who the best people are for that? You. You are. My job is to motivate you and equip you to get out of the salt shaker and back into your neighborhoods, your families, your workplaces, the people you know. You're the most effective people at this, certainly not me. In fact, sometimes even when I begin learning just a little Creole, I realize it would take me years and years before I could get to the point where I could explain the gospel most effectively. But I can say something in English and my friend Cindy can translate it or Alex can translate it and boom, they got the words. They know how to talk about it. So I, as a pastor, even though I must set the example, I am dependent upon you all. Otherwise, we're just going to become a fortress and not a lighthouse. Okay, so again, the verse we're talking about, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Not judgment of God. We are not to fear God's judgment because his perfect love casts out fear. And we're also not to fear outsiders. We're to penetrate outsiders. So what is it we're supposed to fear? And I think this is what... Peter is very eloquently saying, we are to fear injuring the name of our Father. That's the fear I'm supposed to have. I'm not afraid of him. I'm afraid of misrepresenting him to people out there. And Peter says, this is right. You should spend your days in exile fearing that you will cause people to stumble and miss the good news about Jesus. Let me give you an example. Uh, as a boy, when I grew up, um, my father who died, it's been 26 years ago now, even though it seems like just a couple of years ago to me. Um, I loved my father passionately. I always knew my father loved me. He was not a person with many words. But he, all the time, he would look at me, he'd just go, <laughs> like, you know I love you, right? He wasn't great at saying it, but I absolutely knew it. 
So as a student in school, when people would get in trouble, do you know what my motivation was for not getting in trouble? I didn't want to embarrass my father. I remember the first time I got in serious trouble at school, I told my father sat and wept. Wasn't mad at me, didn't yell at me, didn't do anything. He just sat and wept and I'm like, God, I do not want to hurt his feelings. I do not want to bring dishonor to his name. Nothing, nothing made me prouder as a young man than when I would meet somebody in the community and they would say, are you Van's son? And I'd say, yes. And then they would talk in glowing terms about my father. Your father is a great man. I think your father's amazing. I did not want to dishonor his name. That wasn't my motivation. It wasn't fear of punishment. It wasn't fear of the teacher. It was fear of causing injury to my father's name. And that's what Peter's trying to say here. During your time as an exile here, live in fear that you will somehow dishonor the great name of your holy father. The Apostle Paul says it a little differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, you're an ambassador for Christ. It's as though Jesus were living in you, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. Do you know you're an ambassador? Your neighbor, your family, the people you work with, the people you interact with, they're watching your behavior and they're making judgments about our Father based on yours and my behavior. That's why the great American evangelist D.L. Moody used to say, lighthouses don't have to blow their horn. They just shine. They just shine. That's why Jesus said, let your good works be seen before men that they might exalt your Father. Now, this is something I think that maybe in Western Christianity we've kind of lost. We don't have people that live in fear of embarrassing their Father. It's very seldom that I run across someone who I go, their motivation is they do not want to reflect poorly on their father. In fact, I read a book, a very, very discouraging book, even though encouraging in the long run, but it explained to me, why is the church in Asia and Africa, in uh, South America, why are they exploding? Did you know that, by the way? The church is growing faster in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and even the Middle East than any time in history. You know where it's not growing? In the West. Canada, America, it's holding its own in Mexico and in the Caribbean. We're not moving forward. That's what the stats say. And here is a book that began to say why. It said because we're not different than our neighbors. 
You remember what Peter said? Be holy as your father is holy. We don't take that seriously. And so they don't notice a difference. Look at, uh, the whole book goes into this, but just look at a couple of stats. Um, let me see if I got the sheet here. I'll read off it. Polls demonstrate that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. This first one is, is like a knife in my heart. Divorce is now more common among born-again Christians than the general American population. I don't know if that's true here in Haiti. I don't even know if we have statistics. But can you imagine that? We claim to serve a father who says there's no such thing as divorce. I will never divorce you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And yet more Christians file for divorce than non-Christians. How is that possible? That can't be right. The second one, again, a knife to my heart. White evangelicals are the most likely to object to having a neighbor from another race. No, that can't be right. How are they going to believe the good news about our father if they see racism from us? This can't be right. Then look at the last one. Sexual promiscuity of evangelical youth is only a little less outrageous than that of their non-evangelical peers. In other words, our children are having sex at the same rate, basically, as those that do not know Jesus. How can they believe that our Father is holy if they see us and go, I don't see any difference. You're the same. You watch the same television shows. You go to the same bars. You do all the things we do. We see no difference. Well, the question is, how do we fix this? And I'm going to spend our last handful of minutes here talking about a concept I hope I can explain this correctly. I sometimes call it the honesty honor pendulum. Do you know what a pendulum is? You put a ball at the end of a string, and when you pull it this way and let it go, the ball doesn't come back here. The ball goes past and goes the same distance the other direction. It just keeps swinging from extreme to extreme. And I think that's true for many of us. Our view of God. Some of us have a view of God uh, that emphasizes honesty. God is my father. He's Papa. Jesus called him Abba, a familiar term. This is true. He's my father. He cares about me. He knows my needs. He's numbered the hairs on my head. This is true. And so I can be totally honest with him about my failings, about my doubts, because he's my father. Well, that's one side of the pendulum. The other side of the pendulum, and there are some churches that they instead have a view of God as the judge. And so they are all about honor. They see God like Hebrews does. He is a consuming fire. You take your sandals off when you're in his presence. But here's the truth. Scripture says he is both. 
He is both your father and he's the judge and creator of the universe. He's both. It's very difficult to understand because most of us, we ping pong from one side to the other. Let, let me give you an example. Some churches, because they believe that God is to be honored, they emphasize the holiness of God. So guess what? We dress up when we come to worship. We speak to him with written prayers, formal you wouldn't go in front of a king and go, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? You'd go, no, I, I thought through and wrote out what I was going to say. They come uh, with silence, a sense of awe before God. And this is good, unless it's an extreme without the other. The other side sees God as love. He loves me. He's my friend. We sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. I am a friend of God. We're buddies. We're pals. So we don't dress up. We just nonchalantly come to worship and we're done. We're going, hey, where where you want to go eat? We don't think anything of it. Here's the point. Both of those are encouraged in Scripture. Both of them. Why? Well, I'm going to go back to our verse. 1 Peter 1.17. If you call on God as the Father who judges. Do you see it? He is both. He is your Father who loves you. And you can be comfortable telling him anything. But he also is the judge of the universe. And he will impartially judge all human sin. We have to have both those. We can't go from one to the other. We need them both. Honor God and honesty before God are essential if we're going to get it right. He is my papa. He is a consuming fire. And I don't get to choose one or the other. He is both. He is both. Okay, so... If I can find where I stuck my last page, I'll finish this up here. There it is. The question I want to ask you this morning is, do you see God as both your father and the judge of the universe? If you do, you will do 1 Peter 17. You will conduct your time in exile of fear of dishonoring your father, who is the judge. And we do that through our obedient behavior. You see, when you're different, and, you know, I'm, I've been here such a short period of time, I don't know. But I go, I don't see that Christians drive any different than non-Christians in Haiti. I don't think they do, do they? This is wrong. This is not the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do things in a way that honors our Father, not helps us get where we want as fast as we can. Same thing I've noticed, trash. In Haiti, by the way, folks, I'm just observing a few things. If you ask me to observe in America, I could go very, very, very long list. But I've noticed 
There's no difference between non-Christian Haitians and Haitians. They throw their trash wherever. I'm like, no. Live your life while in exile, fearing that you will dishonor the name of your father who is the judge. Is that your motivation? Are you different than the people you interact with as a follower of Jesus? Or is it just something you say? Okay, God has saved you not because of any, not because you pick up your trash or drive. He doesn't, he doesn't save us for that reason. But the world that he's left us to penetrate, they make a judgment oftentimes based on our behavior. Our behavior, the way we treat people. Uh, I ran across a story from a missionary in Madagascar, a country in Africa. It's an island off the eastern coast of the continent of Africa. And uh, they used to have, when they would baptize new Christians, they would have them tell their story. How did you become a Christian before they baptized? What led you to think about becoming a Christian? I said, almost every single time the answer was the same. They would say, well, I saw changed conduct in people who call themselves Christians. I knew a man who was a thief. I knew another man who was a drunkard. Another was very cruel and unkind to his family, and now they are all changed. The thief is an honest man. The drunkard is sober and respectable. And the other man is gentle and kind to his children. There must be something in this, Jesus. How else could it create such changes in people? And then they'd be baptized. What we're lacking here in Haiti is not enough people who believe the right things. We are lacking enough people who behave in fear of misrepresenting God during this time of exile. Which will you be? Which will you be? As we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray with me and ask Jesus, am I living my life in a way that honors you as both my father and as the judge? Or am I living my life in conformity to this world I'm living in exile in? Let's pray. Father, help me. I am guilty. I know I have embarrassed your name. I have treated people in ways that does not help them understand who you are. I have driven in ways. I have eaten in ways. I've done all kinds of things fearing the world more than fearing your name's dishonor. Help us, Jesus, to live 1 Peter 1.17 that we would conduct ourselves with fear during this time of exile in order that the name of Jesus might be exalted and we might penetrate a culture that does not know his name. We ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, 
come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm going to conclude us by giving you the words of Alexander the Great. While you live here as elect exiles, either change your behavior or change your name. Go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.